how we can... I, mean, if, I, I often ask this question, if you were Jesus, would you be impressed by your life? I mean, your life? If you were Jesus, you'd, you'd hung on the cross and you'd said, I've come to bring life to everybody. And, and you, Jesus, looked at your life, would you go, wow, that was worth it? You're not sure? Or you don't understand the question? I mean, I look at my life sometimes and I go, Jesus, you died for this. And he kind of goes, yes. And I go, you died for this? And he says, yes. And? And he goes, I died for your life in order to reconcile you to my Father, but I also died, rose again, that you might be empowered to be changed. The part that seems to be missing in our relationship is you resist change. You think I'm all about obsessing about sin. You think all I'm about is obsessing about what you can't do. It's the last thing on my mind and the first thing on yours. That's where we're different. You obsess about sin in my presence and I obsess about what you can become. And I'm really trying to get that through. When you obsess about what you're not and you obsess about your badness and your sinfulness, that's not me talking. That's actually the enemy, the one I've overcome. It's all he's got to fight with is your humanity and your failure. So all he does is bring that up. And all I bring up is, I have dealt with that at the cross. I'm bringing you into new life. Now you can't hold on to that and hold on to me. Both are always going to be true. They're always going to be real. But which direction do you want to move in? So God does not have a problem with your sin. He's dealt with that on the cross. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It's just he knows all about it. He's not surprised. He's not disappointed. He's not going, oh my word, I never got thought of that. He's also trying to get your attention to take your sin seriously and stop rationalizing it. Not because he wants to condemn you. It's just because he's trying to say to you, um, I've actually come to set you free, but if you don't need, know you need to be free, you will never seek for freedom. You'll just live this life in misery saying, why does God allow this to happen? Remember the story of the elephant? The elephants in India, this is maybe mythological, but maybe it's true. It's, I think it's true as well. Where elephants, when they're born, <coughs> very early on, they're tied to a stake. You've probably heard this one. They're tied, to a, they, they're tied by a chain to a stake in the ground and they pull against it and they can't get away. And they do that for a while and they stop pulling against it. And they get so conditioned that grown elephants, fully adult elephants, can be chained to a stake in the ground and they won't try and get away. Because they've already concluded they can't. And many of us in our lives, in the invisible lives that is the source of our life, are chained to stakes on the ground that Jesus says, I can break that any time. And we believe in our hearts it will never be broken, because it's always been that way. And that is a lie. That's the good news. We're talking about what does it mean for God's kingdom to be real on earth as in heaven? What does it mean for this Christianity to actually make a difference in my life? And 
we get stuck very quickly with theories and a few little phrases and then we go back into what we really deeply call the real world and that is surviving or as Carol said busyness or whatever else inhabits and makes up our lives and we call Christianity in our heart of hearts naive wishful thinking it would be nice but those are all lies those are all the language of Egypt those are all the language of the place Jesus came into as a baby to set us free from they aspects of truth but they're not defining truths with him and because it's so different that's why he said good news it's unbelievable it's too good to be true all of those phrases are true so one of the questions you might want to ask yourself is is my life and what i'm doing as a christian so believable it's become quite boring because it's really not any bigger than me you know what really irritated me this week i got irritated this week again there was a there was a um, a video clip and a and a, and a um, news announcement or news report that i think it was this week that tony blair the ex prime minister of england and christopher hitchens had a debate about religion is it worthwhile christopher hitchens is what he calls an anti theist means i don't even believe in the existence of god and tony blair converted to catholicism which is fine and uh was speaking about religion and when you hear just even the clips of what they debate it is so boring because tony blair is talking about religion worldwide religion isn't a bad thing and you go yeah and christopher hitchens says yes but it's done done lots of bad things and but almost every time they have these debates they talk about religion and jesus didn't come to be religious so he would probably agree with them both And Christopher Hitchens bases his he's very very passionately against religion and God. But he always talks about God as a benevolent dictator. And I'd love to debate Christopher Hitchens not because I'm arrogant and think I could take him on, but I just want to ask him one question and that is tell me about this God that you're so angry with. The one that you don't believe in because you always caricature him as a benevolent dictator. And what happens if he's not? What happens if your definition of him is actually got more to do with your father who you called commander because he was a naval uh, captain and quite angry himself? What happens if your whole life has been spent railing against this god who actually doesn't exist? The god that you're saying you don't believe in. I wouldn't believe in either. So it's really important that we learn how to enter into the love of Jesus as Jesus defines himself not as we define him. Does it make sense? We're talking about the visible and the invisible and I've just sort of started off in a more vague way than I intended to which is pretty normal. Do you know that um Jesus said the spirit gives life and the spirit is a seek first the kingdom the king the kingdom we talked about this last week I'm going to repeat some of it because I think we need to dwell on this for a while 
says the spirit gives life. What's inside you gives life. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be fo- follow after you. And everything about the kingdom of God is in the invisible. And everything about the kingdom of darkness is visible. Last week we talked about that. The, the prince of darkness, Satan, never says to you and me, come to me. Because if we came to him, we would see that he was evil and we would run a mile. So because he has no character to boast about, he, he throws out stuff and distracts attention from him. It's the oldest trick in the book. If you want to impress somebody, give them stuff. And if you're not making it character-wise, give them more stuff. Draw attention to stuff so they won't look at you. Or if you're not very successful in your own character, make sure that you get a career, that you get lots of stuff, then people will think that you're good. It's the way Egypt works. That's the way this world works. We get defined by how much we own. Did you read another clip this, this, this week in the, in the newspaper? Slumdog Millionaire. Did you see that story? So, that movie, Slumdog Millionaire, in Mumbai, in India. Yeah, it was quite a long time ago. You know what? It's a slum area, a huge slum, 18 million people or something. One of the richest men in the world has just built a 27-story house in overlooking the slum. That needs over 600 people to staff it. Somebody said, don't begrudge him his indulgences. That's the way of the world, the prince of darkness operates. I've got a bigger house than yours. He used to sing a song, my dad's bigger than your dad, my dad's bigger than yours. My dad's bigger and he can do something, my dad's bigger than yours. I'm not scared of it, never mind, we'll sing that one day, it's not a worship song. <laughs> but this, this whole thing of we operate in this world from the external very intuitively and naturally. And Jesus came into that world and he said it's totally irrelevant. The kingdom of heaven is within. And it's within as defined by Jesus. In Parksville on, on, on Wednesday night and we had coffee afterwards and I said Judy and two people answered me because there were two Judys in the room. So I said no sorry I was talking to this Judy. When you talk to God, make sure you're talking to Jesus. Because Satan will turn up and say, yep, what can I do for you? If you don't know the difference, you'll be led down a path really quickly. That's why Jesus is so important. Jesus defines God as love, forgiving, merciful, kind. Jesus came to earth. Everything that is real in our lives actually comes from an invisible source. Walter wheeled up to me last week and said, what do you mean this invisible? We live with the invisible. Fear is invisible. It's, pu- it's powerful. And he's quite right. I was glad he brought it up because that's also... the re- we, we are very familiar with the negative in the invisible. So we want to reclaim that. One of the other things that's really bad news for some of us is that God is not interested in your talents. Whenever you talk about spiritual gifts in the church, people always go, well, talents are the same thing. They're not. Talents are things that we do with our resources in terms of our intellect or our abilities uh, to live and make a living in this world. 
and they, 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 are, they can be neutral but they've got nothing to do with the kingdom of God and why is that good news? now for those of us who are defined by our talents I'm very gifted, I've got so many degrees or I, I, I play this game very well or I've had this opportunity why, it's not good news because I've defined myself by all the things that I've been able to accomplish and I've done quite well so therefore I'm looking pretty good it's not good news for somebody who didn't have such opportunities who grew up in the slums of Mumbai and basically never did anything but sweep a street it's not a fair measure of somebody because what you've been given you should have become what you are you should have actually done better probably if you measure yourself like that if you measure yourself by externals or by your abilities or by the opportunities you have yeah you it's kind of I think before God he goes yeah well I go I don't know you did okay but I'm not measuring you by that but when I look at you I don't go wow look what you did what I do look at is how did that talents become surrendered through the cross to the kingdom for instance you might say he's very talented very good bookkeeper or financial manager they're very good at looking after money and in the world you hoard lots of money and God says well in the kingdom stewardship of money is known by its generosity in the Egypt way it's hoarding it very different ways of dealing with the same thing and so that's why Jesus continually offended the Pharisees because all their value systems were challenged all the time and that's when the living Jesus will irritate us because he challenges the things that are, we hold dear he kind of turns them around and shifts them around and you know, just stretches us and in some ways it's, it's, it's important to learn to begin to enjoy that and to just know it's going to happen because he's about setting us free and so what does he say in Colossians 1.15 he says Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible so in Jesus God has made himself known in a very particular way Romans 1.20 talks about you look at creation and in creation you can see evidence of God and lots of people talk about that it's, it's almost a sort of mantra of our culture I find God in heaven in the, in the mountains it's always intriguing what do you find in the mountains well I find creation and beauty and fresh air and independence yeah well God was just that's just like I found an a little aspect of God but it's nothing the creation is nothing like the revelation that Jesus brings Jesus is God up close and personal Jesus is where change happens and so we're talking about this invisible reality invisible doesn't mean nothing because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there that's why well, the easiest one to talk about is things like cell phones we talked about it a bit last week as well you can pick up a cell phone some of you are probably texting right now um, which is pretty sad and I hope God killed your cell phone 
and you get you get a real big bill. Um, <laughs> so there's a there's a you, you know the fact that we all have our cell phones strapped to our belts or in our purses and stuff, and we can turn them on and we can we can talk to somebody on the other side of the world, and we can't see any connection. It's all invisible, but invisible doesn't mean nothing. So those are all helpful, I think, springboards into, well, if that is possible, with accumulation of little brains like mine, and we can work that out, what could Almighty God be able to do? So why do I get so stuck on saying, if I can't see it, I won't believe it? So you can even tell the atmosphere of a place, you can actually make a difference, depending on what you declare. I spoke last week about God brought into being the creation. He spoke his word and things happened. And that's why what we're trying to do by dwelling on this is saying, do you understand, do you realize the encouragement of Jesus rose from the dead and he, he became a risen spirit? And he said, wherever you gather, you will be, I will be there among you. He said, if you actually allow me to live in you, I will show you reality as it truly is. That is as radically different as in warfare, somebody saying, I'm going to issue you with night goggles so that you can see in the darkness. What happens if God says to Christians, you are meant to be those who see in the darkness and through the darkness you see truth? Now, if you know that's even possible, you would start saying, where do I get the goggles? But we are so numbed out. We set, do, are you settling for your life where it is right now? Are you settling for your life as a Christian where it is right now? Truthfully. You, don't, you, ask, you answer it yourself. Truthfully. It's kind of... Do you have any expectation in you for more? Or, or is your expectation in you sort of washed down by if I give God any more, he's going to make my life miserable? Or if I give God any more, then he's not going to let me get away with this thing, which I actually quite enjoy. God will wrestle with you, because he says, I want to give you life. But it's going to be my life, not yours. So one of the biggest things he always wrestles with us is our wills. He said, will you trust me? Follow me. All starts in the invisible. But what makes the visible come to light as words so if you're very polite in our culture we don't speak to each other very well so nothing ever comes to light if I start having a conversation with you and say what do you want tell me about Jesus what will be revealed is either there isn't a relationship you don't know what you want or whatever the more clearly we start speaking words to one another the more truth is revealed isn't it And God is about stirring us up so that we actually come into receiving all that he has. But in receiving all that he has, we have to become conscious of what we have that isn't hopeful. Does that make sense? Yes, John. One person. What's encouraging here? What's encouraging is by trying to draw a big picture I'm trying to encourage us to understand that what Jesus what, what Paul was writing about in, in, in Colossians that Jesus in you is very powerful 
and he wants to rise up and help you overcome that which you are used to. If I asked each of us to stand up here and come up and tell me some of the negative things you struggle with, and you had some amazing kind of freedom, probably everybody would be able to come up here and we'd have to stop them from talking. Well, I've been struggling with this, struggling with this, struggling with this, this and this, and, and I could just get bait you to it. So, okay, let's start. Tell me about the negative. Let's start with your appetites. Eating, addictions, pornography, lusts. Let's start there. Okay, let's start with uh, unbelief, doubt. Let's go on to apathy and indifference. Let's talk about fears. Let's talk about um, nightmares. Let's talk about inhibitions. Let's talk about body image. Let's talk about relationships. I mean, we could go on. I could, you know, depress us completely. If I talk like that, you can, you could. If I started talking on a negative, you could feel things go down, couldn't you? That's the power of spirit. And we all live in the spirit. What the lie is, is that we get subjected. If I asked you, for instance, um, when you get up in the morning, do you get up with a sense of gloom? Oh boy, another day. A lot of us do. I do from time to time. And you've got to, I got to step through that and say, to hell with that. And we have in Jesus the ability to choose who we will serve and how we will live. And we need to encourage each other to go, don't be defined by the negative. Step into, and I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. Now I asked Cheryl if she would share a little bit of her story just because I think she's lived this so deeply. So, do you want to come and uh, say something about learning to stand up and speak and rail against the darkness. Sure. Um, because how wonderful I am, right? That's right. That's right, cool. <laughs> um, I was that elephant for way too many years, um, stuck in a place where I didn't think I could move. I didn't, I didn't think at all that I could get, get away from the circumstances that I was in or the dark hole that I was living in. And the picture I have is, is a hole, and my fingers were on the edge, and my head was peeking out, but I couldn't, I couldn't get out of the hole. Um, those goggles would have been cool at the time, um, but anyways. Um, so the, it's really echoey here. Just, just hold it a little further down. The um, I'm losing my thought. The truth. I'm going to start with the truth, which is I have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. And, um, and that's where I lived for many years. And it's, all, it's been almost, almost three years that I have come out of that place of, of horror, as I called it where I would be unable to do anything but just, you know, drive my kids to school, uh, feed them, work, and that was it. I basically stayed home for maybe 10 years. And like, what a waste. But anyways, I won't go there. But what, what happened was, is he rescued me. He, he took me away from that place, um, literally. And what happens now is I, 
is there, it, I go there, I go back there sometimes, and it, I can feel it come on, and I, I wake up, and, I, and I'm in that hole. And the lie is that I don't belong anywhere else but in that hole. The lie is that this, is, this feels good, it feels comfortable, it feels familiar, and, I'm, and it's okay to be here. And that's the lie. And what I have to do to get out of that is actually step out and step forward and do something that is totally against what I want to do, which is worship or pray. Or um, last Sunday was one of those days. And I got up and I prayed on the side. And I knew that I should ask for prayer. And I, I thought, no, I don't need that. But after I left, I, I, I did go back because it was like, go back for prayer. And I actually had to literally step out and go for prayer. And the word that I got was amazing. It was that I was a wild rose in a field of, of thistles. And it was, everything was overgrown, but God saw me, this, this wild rose in the middle of the mess. He saw me and he loved me. And it was just really cool that, that he would um, love me when I'm feeling so that I don't belong or and it's all lies and the truth is that I've been rescued that he loves me cool cool thank you thank you that's and I believe that's the promise that Jesus is wanting us that's why we're talking about testimonies it's not a it's not a trivial thing here believe me it's not it's a declaration of war against an enemy who has lied and held his prisoner for long enough that's why Brian's testimony is important. That's why Carol's testimony is important. That's why your testimony is important. You're chained to pride or you're chained to nervousness or you're chained to laziness and God says, I've come to set you free. If you want freedom, you can have it. But you've got to learn to know what's going on inside. It's a story that Jesus told oh, well, that happened during Jesus' life. I'm going to read it and then we're going to wind this up. But a few days later, this is in Mark chapter 2. It's the, healing of the, the, the story of the paralytic who was healed. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered up that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now remember this, Jesus was preaching to them and he was also healing the sick and setting prisoners free. It wasn't just words. And some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the, in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the par paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your son sins are forgiven. Do you realize that every time almost that Jesus heals somebody, somebody has made an effort to get there? I want to encourage us. Make an effort. It's your life. Make an effort. If you want Jesus to work in your life, then make an effort to get there. Where is there somebody who's further ahead than you are? One of the lies that's prevalent in this church and around this community is that I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be with God in, in a public place. I can do with God on my own. If I was allowed to, I could probably name 10 families or 10 homes in this community that I've watched over 25 years. And I could tell you how it's worked out. But I can't do that, obviously. 
I could tell you there's a spirit of lust in that house. I could tell you there's a spirit of victimization in that house. I tell you there's an attitude issue in this house. I tell you there's another issue in this house and they could easily be dealt with. But at the end of the day, it's pride and it's self-sufficiency and it's rebellion that gets in the way. You don't need to pray to God. You don't need to ask God. It's very clear. And we need to learn how to wrestle and contend for truth. And these guys, their friend was paralyzed. Many of us are are crippled or paralyzed inside. And they said, we're taking you to Jesus. Or he might have said, "I I need to get to Jesus, I can't get there. And he said, can I get somebody to help me? And they said, sure, we'll help you, let's go. And the five of them went. And they got to the house, what happens? The crowd of people there, lots of people, and they go, oh, well, if God really wanted it to happen, he would have just opened up the, like the Red Sea and we would walk in front of Jesus, right? Right. No. <laughs> not right. They looked at it and saw there's a crowd of people and said, we're not going to let that crowd of people, we're not going to let the snow fall. We're not going to let anything stop us. And so they went up to the top and they opened up. It wasn't a big roof. It would have been a tile roof. It wouldn't have been as bad as it sounds. And they let him down. Because they said, we want to see Jesus. How much do you want to see Jesus? What what would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to do to break through into another place for you and your life right now? We like the guy who's at the uh, pool of Salem and he sits there for 37 years and says every time the water with other people got in front of me. Do you believe your own excuses? I'm trying to encourage you. I'm not actually criticizing you. I'm stirring you up, I hope. That's my prayer. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you to expect more, to, not, to want more, to not settle for the pathetic life that is yours and mine right now. Your life is pathetic. <laughs> so is mine in comparison to what God must see is possible. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't get upset with me, please. But honey, buddy, your life is not what God has intended for it. Get over yourself, all right? And part of the reason it's not is because you're getting in the way. And he's just trying to put his arms around you and me this morning and says, don't be afraid. Let me draw you into more. Not through your talents, but through my spirit. Okay. Have you got that clip ready for me? This is what it could look like. I got you each a gift. No way, Jesus. Why? Well, I just love you guys, so I wanted to get you something. So nice. Laura, you first. Oh, this is so exciting. Oh, will you look at this? A little eight-ounce can of Coke. This is perfect for me. I looked everywhere to find a gift for you, and this just seemed to fit. I love it. Drew? Yeah, your turn. All right. <laughs> no way, Jesus. Seriously? Oh, yeah. 20 ounces of Coke? Yeah, baby. Woo! This is awesome. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. You're welcome. Laura, we got to go show Richard our gifts. Come on. Okay. Hey, Laura. Is there a problem? No. I mean, well, yeah, kind of. You know, it's just that every time you give people gifts, you always give everyone else more than you give me. What do you mean? I mean, like, I open my gift and, oh, cute, eight ounces, and then Drew opens his gift and, hello, 20 ounces. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, that gift is for Drew. Uh, well, that's what I want. Uh, go get it for me. 
Okay, if that's what you want. I got a liter. I know it's one liter of God's sweet goodness. Jesus gave it to me. He did? Yes. You know what? You're going to meet somebody with a bigger bottle, and you are going to be so mad. Look, check it out. I got an upgrade. Coke 3.0. That is awesome. I know. Well, isn't that just great? Yeah. Hey, Jesus, you rock. What is wrong with you? Why are you holding back your best from me? I gave you my best. Don't you see what's happening here? You're letting everyone else's gifts steal your joy. Uh, no, Jesus, you are stealing my joy by giving everyone else more than you give me. Laura, I picked this gift out for you. That's what I wanted you to see. I don't care. Until you can look past this, all you're going to see is a can of Coke. <clears throat> And there, in a, in a very, very um, simple form, is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. That's what we're talking about. There's an element of, we live in a culture that is obsessed with looking on the outside, measuring ourselves on the outside, criticizing other people and God for what we don't have. And he says, you're not using what I've given you, and you're not getting an upgrade on your terms, you're going to get it on my terms. I love you, and I have all those lines of upgrades, if you like, for you. But I want you to receive what I'm giving you right now. I want you to use it. I'm not wanting you to have an intellectual understanding of it. I want you to have an experience of it. Some of us fill our heads with stuff, but we don't have the experience. So it doesn't hold us. It needs to be taken into the heart. And so that paralyzed man... What was interesting is, now the same teachers, are the, the people watching this whole thing going on. And Jesus said at this point, he said, your son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Their understanding was leading them up against a brick wall, and that brick wall was also Jesus. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? What's the implication? In Jesus' kingdom, he's saying it's actually easier to say, get up and walk. In our kingdom, it's more impressive to say, get up and walk. They, they, they twisted around. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paral paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Anybody got a scripture anywhere in the New Testament that God said he's going to stop doing that? I believe he's wanting us to learn how to be amazed by him again or for the first time by what he does. But in order to be open to what he does we need to listen to the spirit and to, be, to hunger for something that starts on the inside. So how do you hear God? Every single one in this room will hear God right now promise you 
You want a quick way to learn how to hear God? I'll tell you how you'll hear God right away. And that is, whatever is the most negative thing that's rising up in you right now, listen to it. Something that will be negative for you. It might be something you're defeated by. It might be a challenge ahead. Whatever it is, one of the ways to defeat evil is to let evil lead you into the presence of God. How does that work? I'm feeling frightened. Let's take Walter's thing. I'm feeling frightened about my future. I'm feeling frightened about surgery. Or I'm feeling frightened about an interview. I'm feeling frightened about losing my job. And I go into this kind of pattern of fear that just folds out and gets bigger and bigger. Or I feel frightened. I acknowledge that. And I turn around and I say, Jesus, I'm frightened. And he says, give it to me. And he says, receive from me my love and my security and my presence for you in the midst of that. My love will cast out that fear. Whatever you're feeling in the negative, just turn around and walk into the light with the the gift that Jesus will give you that will be constructive and positive. It's not the power of positive thinking, it's walking into his truth, his kingdom. He says, your security, by the way, was not meant to be in your job. And so when you're feeling fear, it's showing you that your security is in the wrong place. It doesn't mean I don't care about the job, it just means trust me because I'm bigger. So every single thing that scares us or causes us to be alarmed is an opportunity for God to say, trust me. Now walk into that. Walk into that. When I've told you before, I'm I'm not talking drivel, I'm not talking theory. When I felt called by God, he said, walk into freedom. And you walk into freedom on the basis of your identity with me. That's it. And that has been it. You walk in because there's a big superman on your your chest that says, you are special, you are my son. So we're going to sing a song. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We're going to ask God's Spirit to minister into our spirits the truth of what he's wanting us to hear this morning in our own lives. So as you sing that song, will the guys come up here? Let's get... um, Let's offer it as a prayer and a ministry prayer for ourselves, including the guys who are playing the instruments. Everybody's involved, right? Ask God to make the invisible visible for you in the positive. Jesus has a gift for you now. Sometimes I look over this thing and I watch people disengaging at this point and I go, why would you disengage when he wants to give it to you? Because we don't even know how to engage at a heart level. Jesus has a gift for you right now. That's for you. Let's stand. Let's receive from him. Holy Spirit, will you just pour out your spirit now and take these words that we've spoken and make them real in our hearts. Let us receive the gift of Jesus. Put blessing on what you're doing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Spirit of the Lord.